Chronic illness can be an all-consuming experience. I have suffered with chronic illness for over 20 years, and there is no doubt managing a chronic condition can be a full-time job with no perks or time off. It affects every facet of your life, but you are not alone. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments and coping strategies they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. A condition we are hearing more about in the news, especially in regard to children, is neurodivergence. Neurodivergence is when a person's brain functions differently than a, quote, typical person. Autism, ADHD, dyslexia, chronic mental health disorders, epilepsy, and more all fall under the umbrella of neurodivergence. Additionally, acquired neurological conditions such as traumatic brain injuries, strokes, and Alzheimer's disease can lead to neurodivergence as well. Neurodivergence is common, especially in the United States, According to the CDC, one in every 44 eight-year-olds is believed to have autism spectrum disorder and ADHD affects more than 9.4%, roughly about 6 million children in the United States alone. And 4.4% of United States neurodivergent adult sufferers, especially for autism, are at a greater risk of co-occurring physical conditions including hypermobility and gastrointestinal problems and experience increased pain. There is even studies showing a connection between chronic fatigue and ADHD. The question we ask today is, how do you manage your health when you are neurodivergent? When your executive brain may have trouble prioritizing, multitasking, staying focused, and so much more, how do you manage your health, especially other chronic conditions? Lastly, how do doctors treat you when you have neurodivergence? To discuss her experience is my incredible previous podcast guest from season two, chronic illness warrior and advocate and mom of three, Aston Martinez. Aston experienced chronic illness as a child and teen. By 23, Aston was diagnosed with ADHD, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, POTS, narcolepsy, and by 25, she was diagnosed with epilepsy and most recently diagnosed with autism, chronic activated Epstein-Barr virus, myelogic encephalomyelitis, and trigeminal neuralgia. Aston's neurodivergence adds another layer when managing all her conditions and a doctor's visits. Aston now advocates to bring awareness to her rare conditions. She is a member of the Rare Advocacy Movement, which is a community-based network of professional activists and allied advocates dedicated to protecting the interests of the global community of people living with rare conditions, disabilities, medical complexities, and their families. She is also a contributor for The Mighty, and Aston knows the difficulties of managing chronic illness with neurodivergence. And her and I both know she is not alone. Aston, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Happy to be here. Yeah. So could you share a little more? I know you shared your story in the previous podcast, but could you share a little bit more of your story now and kind of the symptoms you manage from neurodivergence in a sense? Sure. So I 
recently got diagnosed with autism and before then I was diagnosed with ADHD. So I have a little mixture of both. And it definitely complicates things, especially when it comes to managing all of my other conditions. I tend to forget about refilling medications or going to doctor's appointments and all the things that I need to get done. Or sometimes I start to experience like executive dysfunction where I just really struggle. I know I need to do a task. I know how to do the task, but it just seems so hard to get myself to actually do the task. And it can especially get in the way and further stigmatize things when I go to the doctors. Um, They still very much tend to think that ADHD and autism are trendy right now and things that people are just uh, self-diagnosing without any real basis. And so they, it's almost like they tune out and they start to think this person's just trying to go with the trend. They are not actually autistic or ADHD. And so that's, that really compounds the already difficult and biased landscape when it comes to going to doctors. When you have rare conditions too. So that compounds it even further, I'm sure, because a lot of doctors don't even know what half of those conditions are uh, or like all the symptoms that encompass those conditions. And then you add in, you know, ADHD and autism and it's like a trifecta of just craziness at the doctor. I can only imagine. I mean, being diagnosed as a, an adult, like you were, how long was that process for you? I mean, you said it was long for others, but how long did it take for you? And what was the process like for you? So getting diagnosed with ADHD, that happened pretty quickly, just because it was a bit more of an incidental finding as I was going through therapy. But getting diagnosed with autism, that that I, I had several months of waiting for an appointment. And even then, it took a lot of working through things before they wanted to fully find that diagnosis because they uh, they actually said, well, you have a lot of PTSD and some of those symptoms can be very similar, such as like having trouble in social situations or not being able to make eye contact with people. And so I was going, okay, but that's very a very small amount of what's going on there's a lot under the surface that definitely points more directly to autism so it took quite a bit of time and i do like that you brought up how varied it can be because especially with autism when you hear people say that it's a spectrum a lot of the times they're thinking more of like a gradient along one you know, one line, but it's actually more of like, say you have a circle with different sections of your, your functioning day to day, like social, emotional health, those circles each would be filled in a little bit, depending on what your needs are in that area of your life. And each of those circles between person to person, it's going to vary so much. And it doesn't mean that 
one is more autistic or less autistic than the other one. You either have autism or you don't. It just means that you're going to have different needs based on where you fall on the spectrum in each of those areas. Yeah, it's true. I think, well, I mean, in the 80s and 90s when I grew up, um, autism had one look, one appearance. And so there's still many people out there that were raised either in that generation or before. And that is what they think of when they think autistic. So it is hard to for people to change that viewpoint of like there are it's it is it's that's why it's called a spectrum, because there is a wide variety of different types and different uh, abilities, all the things that come with autism so I think it's uh, educational to to share and to figure out how to see it differently. And I think doctors, even doctors, like medical doctors, have a hard time with seeing the spectrum as well. So it's that makes it extremely difficult for you when you are going through what you have to go through. So when you go to the doctor, what... How does it really affect your treatment when you're at a doctor with neurodivergence? On several fronts, I guess, I'm curious, like, does it make it harder for you to advocate for yourself or like be organized or whatever, like stuff like that, but as well as how you're treated, like what other things happen to you at the doctors? Yeah. So one of the big things that I've noticed is difficulties with communication, obviously being on the spectrum that can make it really difficult for me to gauge what the other person is feeling or thinking. And I would definitely say that because of my past experiences that have been really negative with doctors, I I tend to assume the worst. Uh, and that may not always be the case, but it definitely throws a wrench in that communication because I'm already going in assuming it's going to be a negative experience and especially depending on the doctor that I'm seeing um so yeah definitely communication is a big one and when it's hard enough to get taken seriously for all of my other conditions it can be especially difficult if I bring up uh any of my neurodivergent symptoms or anything that I'm dealing with because then they just further start to tune out what I'm saying and, and not take it very seriously. Do you ever not say that you have it? Like, have you ever not like included that in your list of symptoms when you go to certain doctors? Yeah. Um, especially doctors that I haven't been to yet and, and don't really know um, what their mindset or reactions are to things, I'll usually leave that out initially until I've built enough of a rapport to feel comfortable saying it. Yeah, that's well, understandable. I mean, I think a lot of people do that as well, which we shouldn't. And with as common as it is and, you know, learning more about it for this podcast, uh, you know, I've met, you know, I, I have several friends that have the condition of ADHD and most were diagnosed as kids, but, you know, seeing how they struggle to do certain things, even in their just job and 
so I can't imagine, you know, neither, none of them have chronic illness. So I can't imagine how having a chronic illness, you're already exhausted from having the chronic illness. And then you have to, you know, advocate, you have to be organized. Like when you go to the doctor, you have to have your list of questions and you have to remember to ask all those questions. And, you know, it's just, it, I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine not having or having struggles with those areas to, and then to be faced with a doctor who may not even take you seriously, or, you know, it's like, mm, you know, were you diagnosed with that with a real doctor or they probably just threw that on you or whatever. It's just, that's crazy. That has to be extremely difficult. I mean, how do you feel society is like in general approaches neurodivergence now? I think it's definitely becoming more recognized, especially like on, on social media, like TikTok, Instagram, um, places where a lot of people are making videos to sort of spread the awareness about it. Yeah. At the same time, I, I think there's still this other side of things where they may acknowledge that it exists, but they don't necessarily understand what that can cause or may see some of those things as excuses, um, such as like when you are struggling to remember certain things or appointments or you're struggling to get tasks done a lot of people are just going to sit there and say, well, come on, you can just force yourself to do that. Or you can set a bunch of alarms or make a bunch of reminders. And there's just constantly people saying, come on, you can do this. Why are you not doing it? Are you just using that as an excuse? And that can be really damaging, especially um, one thing that a lot of neurodivergent people struggle with can be keeping their house clean. Um, and you can get judged really harshly by other people for that. And they're saying, well, don't, don't you hate living with clutter? Isn't this bothering you? Just do something about it. And it's just not that simple, especially when you are managing other things in your life, like other illnesses, or even just for somebody who's healthy, but has a lot going on in life, it can be really hard and it doesn't add any value to have other people judging you and wondering why you can't do it. Right. That is so true. And it's sad that the understanding isn't there, especially with the knowledge that's out there now. And I do feel like a lot of people still think it's a choice or a decision you can make to overpower it. And there are, I'm sure, like things that you do to try to help in those areas but you can't completely negate how your brain approaches them. And that has to be so incredibly frustrating and deflating at the same time, because you want the things we want to be able to do those things, but sometimes you just can't. And that's, you know, understandable, but people tend to be, you know, judging. And then, you know, you add, going to the doctor and trying to do things as well for your chronic conditions. And then, you know, if you miss an appointment or, you know, they're not lax on that now, man, they're not. Or if you're late or, I mean, I know I still, you get charged or whatever. And I get that they're running. I mean, and this is sad, I'm going to say this, a business, but at the same time, like there are 
things that happen in life that cause you to miss appointments or not be able to fill your prescriptions on time or whatever that happens. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The more I learn about, especially ADHD, just because I have more experience with that, with the friends that I do have that have the condition, you know, uh, her place may be messy looking to the average looker, but honestly, she, in her mind, has, like, there's stacks of things for reasons. Like, it makes sense to her. And like, she knows where everything is. Like, I mean, it may not look like anything organized, you know, organized to that, but she knows and um, it works for her and, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay too. But yeah, you're right on so many things on how we do it. I mean, what kind of things do you try to do, especially for a doctor's appointment to help yourself, like get through it, not only, you know, to get the most out of the appointment uh, for your health, but mentally to like prepare yourself for this and to like prepare for the aftermath of it. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of preparation, especially mentally uh, after all of the bad experiences. I'd start to get panic attacks when it comes to going to the doctors, um, especially certain doctors that I've had some of those experiences with. And so there's a mental aspect for sure. And of course, I make a bunch of like lists. I try to keep track of what I need to ask at my next appointment or bring up at my next appointment. Um, If I'm experiencing certain symptoms that are outwardly visible, I tend to take a lot of pictures of those things so that I can say, look, this happened. This is definitely there. And then they can't, you know, they can't argue against it, really. Uh, a lot of people have thought that that was weird that I'll take pictures, but you got to do what you got to do to get the most out of that appointment. It's actually quite smart. I mean, I think that's really smart to have, you know, documented evidence to be like, boom, because <laughs> you don't always, yeah. it's always like it all clears up right before the doctor's appointment, right? Or like whatever, oh, yeah. if you have an outward symptom, like it always clears up and then you're like, okay, well, I had it, you know? So it's nice for the pictures. Sorry, I didn't mean to wrap, but continue. (laughs) Oh, no, you're fine. Um, And other than that, I do try to like set a lot of alarms to make sure that I know exactly what time I'm going and exactly what day. It's just a lot trying to keep up with all of it, Uh, especially having recently finished up with schooling and I put off so much of my health during that. So I'm playing catch up and it it can be really overwhelming, especially just looking at my calendar or my alarms and seeing all of the things that are that are set up to go off and notify me. And that can really mess with the the executive dysfunction side of things as well, just because having those visual reminders can sort of make your brain shut down a little bit and be like, wow, I really don't want to deal with all of this. Yeah. You know, looking at all those reminders all the time and then be like, okay, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot I got to accomplish today. And, uh, and you have kids. So that adds a whole other layer because you're on with their schedules. So that's, that's a lot. Okay. So what would you possibly recommend, you know, to others who want to support their neurodivergent loved one, kind of be a safe place for them as they go through 
all of this process, especially if they're chronically sick? How can they support someone? Sadly, this is all the time we have for today. Please tune in to Aston next week as she shares her recommendations on how to support a neurodivergent loved one, how she handles her anxiety, as well as her previous trauma when going to the doctor. You won't want to miss. I also want to mention that Aston is working on a website or app for the chronically ill and would love to hear from you on the features which would help the chronic illness community the most. If you have any suggestions, please email the podcast at notmypain@herocircle.org, or you can go to the podcast website, IamNotMyPainPodcast.org, and hit contact to send me an email. I will forward your suggestions to her or connect you if appropriate. I would like to thank Aston again for coming back on the show and being so open with her story. And a great big thank you to all my listeners. As always, remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or to learn more about the show or how to become a guest, simply visit our website at www.iamnotmypainpodcast.org. That is iamnotmypainpodcast.org. Your story matters. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.